Why do you think San Franciscans choose these policies? I, I think progressives have lost their way. And I hate to say this, but I'm a progressive. But I think our progressives have lost their way like, like the conservatives have lost their way. Do you think the community is tired of it? The Tenderloin has the largest concentration of children in San Francisco. So what are them kids seeing every day? Tents, drugs, and drug sales. That's not okay. Would you like to have to bring your child to school every day and walk past some dope fiends and, and some homeless people? And your kids ask you, what is that? Why is that, Daddy? What you gonna tell them? I don't know. We have to let people be who they are, do what they do. Are the progressive policies backfiring in San Francisco and causing the progressives to question these policies? My guest today is Craig Johnson with Positive Directions Equals Change. Today he'll discuss why he thinks harm reduction and housing first policy is the wrong approach to dealing with the homelessness and crime in San Francisco. He will also share his personal story of how he got out of committing crime and combating addiction and how he's making a difference in his community now. I'm Siamai Korami. Welcome to California Insider. Hi, thank you. We want to talk to you about crime in San Francisco and what San Francisco is doing. Uh, you have your experience. And can you tell us uh, what's going on? Is San Francisco headed in the right trend dealing with crime or not? No, I don't think they're, no. And that's ironic coming from a criminal, but no. They, um, I feel like the police department is kind of apathetic right now. And they really don't care for whatever reasons. Um, I guess they didn't got mashed on so much about victimless crime that they're not doing anything to address it. And it's almost like people are having a license to commit crime as long as it's not victim, as long as there ain't a victim involved which is not going to never happen because a victim is always involved in a crime. If you steal a purse out of their car, you know, if you break into a window, you know, if you just, if you're just sitting on the sidewalk smoking crack and kids have to walk by and see that, or smoking meth and using fentanyl, there's a victim. And so, I don't know, it's just, it's just really bad. It's just really bad. I know back in the days, which I know, you know how us folks always want to go back in the day? You could not use drugs on the street. You would get stopped. It'd be get a paraphernalia case or a possession case. None of that happens anymore. People don't get possessions, they don't get paraphernalia. So police drive by, they see them taking a hit on a meth pipe and they just keep going. You know what I'm saying? And that, that never used to happen before. Now, how does it work? Why do you think they're not dealing with these drugs when they see them? I think some of it has to do with the DA. I don't want to get into this, but I think because he doesn't uh, prosecute everything that comes across his table, some things he just dismisses automatically. I think that's frustrating for the police department. Um, I think it's frustrating for the victims who are victimized by it. And I think it's just frustrating all around because nobody's being held accountable. If I do something, ain't nothing gonna happen. I'm gonna go to jail, I'm gonna get out of jail, I might get some probation, maybe. You know, so I mean, you know, no other counties is doing that. If you do something in San Mateo, you're going to jail. 
And I mean, again, like I'm saying, this is coming from a person who has a criminal justice history and I don't get it. People need to be held accountable, period. So in San Francisco, you can still and do whatever you want, essentially, and get away with it in terms of. Well, I mean, well, you don't really get away with it, but I'm just saying you get to do it more, a few times before something really happens. Nobody's going to prison. I mean, you know, nobody's really going to prison. Then if you go to jail and get busted, you get on you get a uh, OR or you get on an ankle monitor. You don't really go to prison. Nobody go to jail. I mean, COVID might have something to do with that too, but they don't want you know. There's drugs in the jails because I don't think they're being churched because nobody won't touch them. You know what I'm saying? Nobody, you know, everybody's worried about COVID. Everybody's worried about everything, but what they need to be worried about. And I understand it, but I don't get it. Drugs is what they need to be worried about, right? I think in San Francisco, drugs is the main issue. I think it has a lot to do with why people are homeless. I think if you if you if you tackled the drug addiction in San Francisco, you'd also be attacking homelessness. But the but people don't believe that. They think that people should have a right to do what they want to do when they do it. And I guess that's okay for some. But for people suffering from addiction, that's not a good look. Do you think it's connected to crime as well? This of course. How are you gonna support your habit if you ain't committing crime? Ain't nobody giving you no money. Drugs ain't free. No drug is free. Now tell us about yourself. You had your own experience. How did you get out of it? I, <laughs> the way I got out of drugs, out of using drugs and going to jail was I got, went to prison. When I got out of prison, I went back to using drugs and the parole officer gave me a choice. He said, you can go back to prison or you can go on a drug program. I went in the drug program and I got the help I needed. I went to Delancey Street. But I, my choice was prison or drug program. That was my choice. It wasn't no other choice. It wasn't you can go back to doing what you're doing, boo-boo. You go into prison or you go into drug program. And right now, it's not like that. No. What about the people that are committing the crime? Do, do you think, what is going on in their minds? Their minds is that <laughs> they ain't worried about it because even if you go, the way this, this thing, I, what is it? I don't know which prop it was, one of them props with it where they put the responsibility of criminal crime on the, on the counties, where if you get a case and it's, it is less than five years, then you just stay in the county jail. There used to be a time when you could go to prison for 16 months. Yeah. 16, two and three and all that kind of stuff. They don't have that no more. So you have to really do something to go to prison. You know what I'm saying? You have to really commit a, a major crime or just have so much stuff stacked up that you have no choice but to go to prison. But ultimately, you can commit all kinds of little small crimes and do stuff that m most people do to survive, and the worst you're gonna do is go to the county jail. And then some people in county jail, they end up on parole, get a paper commitment, which means they're on parole on paper, but they never seen a prison. They never even seen what a prison looked like. And so this is kind of like, you know, when you say you, you, you're trying to really put the responsibility back in the community, but what you're really doing is dumping it back on the community and you're not preparing the community how they're going to deal with it. How do you address this? Do we have enough rehabs, enough programs out there to help people reenter back into the community in a productive way? No. 
We don't. You know, so, you know, prisons are smaller. Jails are, the jails don't want nobody in them because everybody's scared of COVID. So everybody's dumping everybody out and guess where they end up at? In a tent on the street. So the idea is to bring people out into the community so that they can get another chance to do better? Is that how? I don't know what the logic is behind it. All I know is what's, what's happening is that, you know, um, the, the piece of transition from jail or prison back to the community, there's nothing in the middle to help with that transition. There's no support services. There's no support, period. And so, you know, you, you get somebody, you let them out, and you put them in a place or somewhere, and no behavior change. Nothing changes. It's the same. And so if I know that's what's going to happen to me, that's what my outcome going to be every time I commit a crime, why should I not com keep, why should I keep, why should I quit committing them? And now what about you when you were growing up? What is the mindset? Did you, why did you commit these crimes? Did addiction come first or was it? A lot of times, it, it, well, from, from my point of view in my community, it was crime and then drugs. It wasn't drugs and then crime. Now in a lot of other communities, drugs is what started the crime. But crime started because when I was using, when I was committing crimes, drugs was a way to reward yourself for your success committing a crime. And that turned into an addiction. You know what I'm saying? Then once it turned into addiction, then I had to commit crime to support my habit. Back in the 80s and 90s, if I got busted with three or four rocks, I'm going to prison. And I'm not talking about, and the rocks went a quarter gram. And I would go to prison. Now these guys get busted with half a pounds and ounces and all kinds of stuff of fentanyl and meth, and they're not going to prison. And there's no laws in place to prosecute for that, like it was for crack. And again, we know what, what communities got affected by that. And I think the other communities need to be held accountable the same way they made us accountable. But again, the the cocaine was coming from Colombia, another country of color, bought over here, sold by people of color. And so the laws were like, let's pull out both barrels and give them both barrels. It was, it was so funny, the law was so crazy, you could go to jail, you could go to prison for crack, rocked up cocaine, but if you had powder cocaine, you got probation. Because hmm. we know who had the powder. Now, what about what we do now with this meth and these drugs? They don't that are do s. They don't do nothing. They give you a case, but that's it. It's not. It's not. It's not a class A felony. It's not like it was back when people had got busted for crack or selling crack. I mean, you know, I don't know what they. I don't know what's going on with that. But they people ain't going to prison for it like they we was. And what I went to prison for selling twenty dollars worth of cocaine to a cop. I went to prison for that. I did three years in prison for selling some rock cocaine to a police officer. S uh, tell me where that happens now. For somebody selling some meth or some fentanyl to a cop. I bet you can't even find a statistic to say what happens. Which is worse, right? Is it? It's absolutely worse. So where's accountability? Or even if we're gonna say, why ain't it fair? 
So now, what about the policymakers, the leaders, the lawmakers? Do you think they understand when they're making these laws? You mentioned that holding people accountable is very important. There's been a change shift from that to getting more involved in the community, giving people a second chance, being a relaxer. Do you think these people that are making these laws, they really understand what they're doing? I, I think progressives have lost their way. And I hate to say this, but I'm a progressive. But I think our progressives have lost their way like, like the conservatives had lost their way. I think everybody's lost. I mean, you know, it's like, I don't, I just don't get it. Like, you know, letting people do what they want to do because they have a right to do it is one thing. But if it's not, as long as it's not affecting my neighborhood. But for people like me and the people I'm around all the time, it affects us. It's not okay. It's not okay for somebody to have to walk their child to school every day because they're scared of what's going to happen if they let them go by themselves. And the biggest thing is that the Tenderloin has the largest concentration of children in San Francisco. Because again, you have affordable housing, the whole thing, but the families who have kids, most of the kids, the biggest population of children in San Francisco is in the Tenderloin. So what are them kids seeing every day? Tents, drugs, and drug sales. That's not okay. That's not okay. Would you like to have to bring your child to school every day and walk past some dope fiends and, and some homeless people? And your kids ask you, what is that? Why is that, daddy? What you gonna tell them? I don't know. We have to let people be who they are, do what they do. Why do you think San Franciscans choose these policies? Do you think they've ignored it, or do you think like they Again, I, they don't I feel see like San Francisco has lost its way. They're so focused on addressing homelessness that they're not looking. See, homeless is a symptom. It's not the problem. The symptom is not being addressed. The symptom is not enough affordable housing, Drugs running rampant, drugs addiction at an all-time high, and you can know it's a drug addiction at all time high based on the amount of people that's overdosing. Thousands of people have overdosed in San Francisco on fentanyl. I just it's just like okay, so we gonna say okay, we need to address spend all this money on homelessness, housing first, but you gonna take somebody out of a tent and put them in a house and think something's gonna change? without any kind of support services, without any kind of transitional uh, uh, piece in between that before you move them into a house where they are prepared to be inside and they used to being outside and doing whatever they want, getting high, you think they ain't gonna go inside and do the same thing? And so you put somebody in affordable housing, they blow it out in four or five months and then you can rent it for market rate. But you did your part. And so it's just, it's just, it's just, and I know that the policy makers have to be looking at this because all the money they dump into homelessness ain't changing nothing. You know what I'm saying? The more they build, the more homeless people become. Because they're addressing, they're not addressing the problem.
They're not addressing the drug addiction that's running rampant in San Francisco. They're not doing enough about that. They want to give somebody some Suboxone, some Methadone, and some Narcan and tell them be safe. That's not a message you should be sending people. Keep getting high and be safe. But I guess maybe I see it differently because I'm in recovery. And I know that ain't never stopped me from getting high. Recovery is the only thing that stopped me from getting high. But that message isn't being preached. That message isn't being said. Why not? Because San Francisco has a harm reduction policy. Can you tell us more about it? I can, I can tell you this. If you ask 10 people what harm reduction is, they'll give you 10 definitions. And so we're running on a, on a definition that nobody's on the same page with. And I know what harm reduction is. Harm reduction was started to make sure people did not transmit hep C and HIV. How it got to the drug use is a question that I ask myself all the time. How did I get into drug use? Well, they said, well, motivational interviewing, you know, you have to meet people where they're at and you move them toward abstinence. I got you. But move them toward where's the abstinence at? How do you get them to the abstinence when there's none in San Francisco? Every drug program in San Francisco has a harm reduction policy or they don't get funded. And our program, the, T, the, the TRP program, is, is the first abstinence-based program in San Francisco in the last 20 years. And they be talking about we like the first program in San Francisco that's abstinence-based, which is not true. There are all kinds of programs in San Francisco abstinence-based. But when the policy of the Department of Public Health changed, so did those programs. So the idea of harm reduction is to actually give people drugs? Is that how it works? I don't, I, it's, it's, it's not give people drugs, it's allow people to use drugs without any accountability. And I feel that my community needs to be accountable. The community I live and love in, love and live in, we don't need to be comfortable. We need to be accountable. You know what I'm saying? Because you know, I'm also a believer in restorative justice. So I believe that if you mess up something, you got to fix it. You have to do your part to fix it back. You know what I'm saying? So I, you know, I just don't think, I don't think, and, but see, my voice is not the voice that they're listening at. The community is saying that we want faith-based treatment. We want absence-based treatment. We want NA. We want AA. And they're saying, well, if you don't follow our harm reduction policy, you can't get funded. So if you don't go by letting people continue their drug use, you essentially won't get funding. Exactly. As a nonprofit there. Yes. And that's a, that's a broad, but that's basically, at the end of the day, that's what it boils down to. So you will be in a better position as a nonprofit if you promote or provide the drug use Right. If you allow them, if you allow, if you if you take on the policy of the Department of Public Health and say that harm reduction is okay, and we're not against harm reduction. I'm not against harm reduction. Harm reduction is a vehicle like any other vehicle. It's a it's a way for people to get to where they need to go. I'm not against harm reduction, but I also know that there has to be options for people. They have to be able to have make choices. Do I want to be clean and sober? You know what I'm saying? There need to be some place for me to go when I want to be clean and sober. And that's, that's, our, that's our predicament. I have nothing against harm reduction. Harm reduction has its place in the world like anything else. But to make harm reduction be the, 
the one size fit all approach is what I'm against. So there's only one way of dealing with this. The, the way right now in San Francisco, the one way of dealing with this is through harm reduction. Which is to give drugs to people. Well, it, well yeah, and, and when you say give drugs, if you're talking about Suboxone and Methadone, yes. And, and in some of the homeless hotels, quiet as it's kept, when COVID was running rampant, they was bringing people drugs. So they would stay in their room. Which I, which I think, boy, I wish I was using drugs back then and somebody would bring me up some every day so I would stay in my room. Now, why do you think they don't listen to you guys, people like yourself in the community that are actually... So you're talking about policymakers who think they know everything already, right? Yeah. You're talking about policymakers policy who already think they know what we need. And when we holler at them and tell them that's not what we want, they say, but this is what you need. And we're saying that ain't what we want. This is what you need. This is what the argument has been for the last year and a half. We're saying we want more. And a couple of the supervisors heard us and made that happen for us. But we had to scream at the top of our lungs to get their attention. Because they don't come and ask us what we need. They tell us what we need. I mean, even in the African-American community, we had the highest rate of asthma, uh, uh, diabetes, high blood pressure, everything. And they did a big study on it and had a report that came out saying this, stating this. Some scientists did their research and everything. Do you know that it's still the same? So we go and do a research project. We do a thing. We write a paper. We give it to the policymakers. Here's what it say. Now it's up to y'all do something. They say, okay. So they don't, they don't do much with it? Or they waste Not a lot of resources? Not that I've seen. They spend a lot of money on that research project, though. That money could have went into people getting, you know, getting treatment for their asthma. People getting treatment for their diabetes. Now tell us about your program. How does it work for people to get into your program? Well, all you got to do is want to come to our program and want some help. That's, we, don't, we don't have no guidelines on that. We take you as you come as you are and then we try to figure out what it is that you need and how we can help you you know but again our policy is that you gotta first thing you gotta do is stop using dope and getting high you gotta stop that and clear your head out and get your brain clear so you can figure out what you want you know what I'm saying that's us we 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 again we we are fighting drug addiction and alcohol we want people to be clean and sober. That's what we'd like to see happen. We need to see as many people as we can in our community get clean and sober. And now the, the government has noticed you guys and they're gonna work Nobody, with the government ain't noticed us. The, who noticed us was uh, the adult probation and this guy named Steve who works for uh, a CAS Center, which is a reentry program. And he knows how close we work with ex-offenders and then he knew me from a long time ago. He's in recovery as well. And he knew what we was doing. And uh, he kind of like advocated for us to get, get going and get involved. And he, he's really been instrumental in helping us do that. We ain't never, like, but like I said, we ain't never had a donor. We don't know what a donor look like. We know what donations look like, but we don't know what no donor. We don't know, what, I ain't never met a donor. Hopefully you'll, you'll well, meet hopefully that Hopefully I will. One day somebody will come and say, hi, I'm a donor. <laughs> how can you, how can I help? <laughs> I'd be like, I might fall out. 
you know, because I got a lot of stuff I can, he, he can help us do, or somebody can help us do. Hopefully you'll get some of the funding from the government that's we going get, into we homelessness. Get, we, get, we get some of that. Yeah, we, we ain't going to stop doing that because I feel like government should be investing in, in the community. The government needs to invest in the community. We pay taxes, don't we? I mean, so we, you know, we need to invest in the community. The more tax, we can help you create some taxpayers. That's what we're trying to do, create taxpayers. Once you know? people are sober, they're not coming. And they crime, working, they got a job, they can pay in taxes. Even though they don't like it coming out, they check, but they pay in taxes. Now, when you see San Francisco, when you see Tinderloin, do you think if you had the chance, would you be able to fix it? I don't know if I could totally fix it, which I know that's a big challenge, but I think the approach that we're getting ready to take, we're going to put a dent in it. We're going to make some changes happen. Because we are going to force policy to change. We are going to hold supervisors accountable. We are going to go after the mayor if we have to. And I love the mayor. I think she does a great job. I think she has to deal with the politics of being a mayor that gets in her way. But that's the way that is. But we're going to be doing some community pressure to make some changes. We want the streets cleaned up. We don't want open drug use. And we don't want homeless people just laying all on the ground. If we got all these places to put them at, let's put them there. If we got to build some tiny homes, whatever we got to do, let's do it. But let's clean it up. And we're coming together with a lot of other community providers who work in that area. And it's going to be a coalition of uh, Arab, Arabs, Filipinos, Latinos, blacks, and whites. And we're coming together. We all got community organizations. We all been working separately. Now we're going to work together to push this, to clean that area up. That's going down. Is it just a community without the help of the politicians? Or is that? Well, the politicians have to, at some point, they have to listen to their constituents, right? If enough constituents is in their face, they're going to have to do something. And so we're going to hold them accountable. How did this come about? It came about because, because like nobody's doing nothing. They just, you know, it's like deaf ears. We all hollering at them separately. And they were saying, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll see what we can do. We'll work on that. But don't nothing happen. So we said, okay. So since that ain't been working, we're going to all get together and go at them. I bet you they do something then. And a couple of the supervisors had made commitments that they're going to help. So we'll see. We're going to hold them accountable. Do you think there is a big gap between the people that are in charge in San Francisco and the community? Of course, definitely. They only listen to us when it's time to vote. The rest of the time, they doing what they do. Business as usual. And they don't really respond until we have to start screaming at the top of our lungs that something is wrong. But a lot of these politicians do make promise to, to the Yeah, they all politicians make promises, and half of them don't keep them. I mean, you know that. I mean, how many politicians you know to keep their promises? For one way or reason or another. They try to give it their best shot. But, you know, sometimes, you know, the world ain't set up for them to really accomplish what it is they accomplish because the obstacles are getting their way. Could be some of it. Some of it is, I just need your vote. And, you know, we know that too about some.
I'll tell you whatever you want to hear for you to vote for me. Do you think the community is tired of it and can't tell? Yeah, the community's tired of it. And we ain't stupid. We see it. Yeah. That's why I said we're getting ready to get together and push it. So the place I was talking about where it was supposed to be a family-free, child-free zone, that was put in policy three years ago. And it still ain't nothing happened. So what was this about, the family-friendly child? There was, there's, a, there's an area between 6th Street and 7th Street from Mission to Howard that was deemed a family child-free zone because there's a lot of children and families that live there. And so this was done three years ago. And that would, which meant they would eliminate or they would reduce the amount of homelessness people, homeless people that live there. They'd make it safe for the kids to use their playground and it would not be open drug dealing and drug using in that area. That did not happen. Just recently, a girl 16 overdosed on uh, fentanyl right on 6th, 7th and Minna, which is part of that family-free zone, family and child-free zone. So this is what's got everybody pissed off right now. Because you guys said you was going to do something about it and you didn't. Now, do you think people, kids that are growing up in these communities, do you think they, as a result of seeing this, they will get impacted significantly? They'll definitely be impacted. They won't get to be kids. They'll have to grow up real quick. They'll have to understand the difference between danger and safety. You know what I'm saying? They'll, you know what I mean? They'll, they'll, they'll learn the hard. They'll learn stuff that that they shouldn't be learning as a child. Kids need to learn how to go to school and have fun and be happy and play. They don't need to be worrying about uh, somebody grabbing me off the streets or somebody getting shot in front of me or somebody have to walk over somebody to get to my playground to go play. That shouldn't be happening for no kid growing up. I remember when we growing up, we didn't have to deal with that. I know some of us got to play and be kids for a minute till we decided to be grown, but we had, a, we had a choice. Them kids ain't got no choice. They have to grow up real quick. What do you think can happen to San Francisco if things don't change the way things are going? There won't be any culture in San Francisco. San Francisco will just be a big old fancy metropolitan with a whole bunch of prosperous people and a whole bunch of poor people and no middle class, because middle class can't afford to live there. And with that goes the culture. Now, do you have any other thoughts for our audience? Talk to your policymakers and tell them they need to get off their butt and do something about what's going on in the city. Craig Johnson with Positive Directions Equal Change. It was great to have you on California Insider. Thank you.